Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to another weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. About a year ago, Elon Musk was doing... So much crazy stuff. I was desperate for someone to tell me what was going on. So I reached out to Rob Maurer from the Tesla Daily Podcast to be a sort of Elon whisperer for me. Rob was great and gracious. And actually, that was the beginning of the weekend bonus episode idea, in a way. So a year on, let's take Elon's temperature again and Tesla's. Great conversation today with Rob about where Tesla is at. And also, congrats to Rob and the Tesla Daily Podcast for turning two years old. If you don't know the show, it's a daily show like ours. Would compliment ours if you're into Tesla and EVs and cars and stuff. Subscribe now. Tesla Daily. Uh, It was over a year ago, Skype tells me, but I thought it was less than that, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when we spoke a year ago, it was right in the midst of, I don't know what you would call it, uh, Elon's rumspringa or whatever it was. <laughs> so, uh, that is the best description of it that I've definitely heard. <laughs> well, all right. But let's, so it's a year on now. It seems mm-hmm. to have calmed down. Yeah, I think so. Um, not to, not to ask you to get all, you know, gossipy National Enquirer about it, but yeah. do we have a read on what was going on at this point last year? Was it a bad breakup? Was it just too much stress? Like, what what do you think was going on? Yeah, I think probably a combination of a lot of things. You know, I don't want to speculate too much on on that because obviously it's a personal thing for Elon. But um, I think everybody has kind of tough periods of time, especially you know when you're the CEO of what, three at this point, I guess, uh, billion dollar companies. So. Um, I think it's it's pretty understandable, but obviously, um, I think there were some some missteps along the way at, at some times last year. Um, but to your point, I think it's you know things have normalized and steadied out a little bit. Um, and last year, you know, definitely as I said, missteps. But I also think that a lot of that got amplified a little bit by the media, uh, which you know isn't too unusual. Do we have a sense that maybe there's been some sort of a PR change? Like, have they reined him in to some degree? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know that he'll ever be uh, fully reined in. I of don't course, think, of course. Yeah, I don't think people would, would necessarily want that. That's, you know, part of the whole Elon brand. But so definitely some changes have been made. So, I mean, last year, just to catch people up, there was the whole, you know, funding secured saga of Elon trying to take Tesla private. Um, then the SEC kind of took issue with that tweet, um, filed a lawsuit basically saying that, Musk had misled shareholders. Um, So that kind of played out. Musk and Tesla and the SEC reached a settlement agreement. Um, Basically, the terms of that required him to step step down as the chairman of Tesla's board of directors for three years. Um, Also pay like a $20 million fine. I think Tesla and Elon both had to pay those fines. And then they also put a stipulation in there that Elon would receive approval for all future written communications that could... 
um, basically, you know, be a forecast or something like that. Affect the stock, maybe. Yeah, right? something yeah. something be that would be of importance to um, investors, basically. So they kind of settled on that. Elon never admitted to fault in that agreement. So I think, given his way, he would have continued to see that play out in court. Um, but at the time, I think Tesla and Elon both both felt that it would be better for shareholders to just kind of settle and move on, and they felt comfortable with those terms. So that's kind of how that ended up. And then, so Tesla now has a new board um, chairman or chairperson. So Robin Denholm is was a board member at the time. Um, she's also the CFO and COO at Telstra, coincidentally enough, which is Australia's largest telecommunications company. Um, so she stepped down in that role or is in the process of stepping down in that role and um, is now the chair of the board full-time. So there has been some a little bit of the governance changes there um, since that whole thing kind of played out. Yeah, and, and this is largely what this is this conversation is about is sort of like a year on like taking the temperature again with the caveats that like i while we cover tesla now and again it's not something that i'm paying attention to every day so um so uh in aid of that one of the things that i did cover earlier in the year was one day i did a big segment about record deliveries stock way up and then seemingly a couple weeks later a horrible earnings report um and stock way down <laughs> stock way down yep <laughs> so it's a roller coaster for sure well which okay whatever that's the nature of this company in general uh what happened there and now i think we're maybe another quarter on from that um what happened and what is the situation in terms of where where are sales and where are we yeah for sure it's a great question always always top of mind so we are now in Q3, um, about halfway through Q3. So the quarter you're referring to is Q2. So that's the last report that we would have got. Uh, so at the beginning of July, we got the delivery numbers to your point. So Q2 deliveries were an all-time high, um, slightly above 95,000 total vehicles. So that's over 77,000 Model 3. And then between Model S and Model X, um, the more premium, large ve- larger vehicles, about 17,000 of those, a little bit over. Um, so that was tremendous progress from Q2 2018. Last year, deliveries were like 40,000, so they're actually up like 135% year over year, which is just really incredible growth. Like, we haven't really seen growth like that um, really in 100 years since, you know, Ford and the Model T kind of started this all out. Um, So really, really happy with the growth there. I think that's where you saw the stock react. Um, They definitely exceeded expectations on deliveries and production. Um, so then we got to the earnings report, um, things weren't quite as strong in those regards or not quite up to the expectations that those record deliveries, um, set for the market. So revenue was still strong. So up 60% quarter over or year over year. Um, and a lot of things improved, but they did still show a $400 million loss in terms of gap profitability. Um, so there's a lot that kind of goes into that profitability is an accounting metric. It's definitely an important metric. But there are a lot of things. Profitability that is is kind of a little bit important. <laughs> no offense, <laughs> but a little bit. I agree, hundred percent agree. But there are other things that are important to look at too. And when you're a rapidly growing company, like like I said, you know, deliveries up 134 percent year over mm. year, that causes a lot of impacts to the financials um, that don't become apparent necessarily when you're looking at one quarter. Um, individually. So I did a whole episode on this. If people want to like dive into that a little bit more, um, it's the July 25th episode of Tesla daily. It's called why wasn't Tesla profitable. I just Mm -hmm. spend kind of 15 minutes going through all of the reasons that 
it is difficult to be profitable um, when you're growing that rapidly. So I can just kind of hit on the high notes here. Sure. Um, so again, like a $400 million loss, um, a lot of that was from interest expenses. So I think, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think that was around $175 million or so. So if you think about that, Tesla could choose if they if they wanted to to further dilute shareholders, take on less debt, and raise money more through equity than what they've done in the past. That would eliminate that, you know, eliminate or reduce that interest expense, and then they would look more profitable. But that would be at the expense of shareholders because shareholders would further be diluted then. So not the path that Tesla necessarily wants to take, though it would show better metrics. Um, they also have significant depreciation expenses in terms of the profitability because Tesla does a lot of straight line depreciation, not everything. Some of it is units of production method, but some is straight line. And what that means is that as you produce more units with, you know, the production, um, equipment, things that you have, the depreciation per unit falls steeply as that production ramps up. So over time, as Tesla continues and continues to increase production as rapidly as they have, um, they have the equipment to do that and they're depreciating it on, you know, a smaller unit base. So as unit deliveries come, um, increasing, become increasing, um, the depreciation per unit is going to fall significantly. So like next year, you know, if Tesla is up another hundred percent, they might have similar, num- uh, similar levels of depreciation to what they have now, but they might be able to, you know, have again, 50% more revenue, 50% more operating profit. So, um, that's a big impact. And then they also had like a $115, um, $115 million one-time charge. So when you kind of put all those things in perspective, there's definitely a clear path for Tesla to have been profitable if they were a slower growing company. And I think that's what gets lost a lot of times when people, um, are critical of Tesla's profitability. Some things are fair, but, um, a lot of people aren't really thinking about how difficult it is actually to achieve, um, an accounting profit when you're kind of in those fast growing circumstances. You mentioned, um, you mentioned the choice of an equity raise versus a, a debt raise, because that was also a concern around this time last year. Like, mm-hmm. do they have a cash runway? And they, am I right? They did successfully do a, a, a debt raise. They did. So in Q2, they raised about 2.4 billion, um, 2.2 billion after, uh, all the fees and things. So that was kind of split between equity and debt. Um, they did about 800 million of that in equity and then about 1.4, um, billion in debt. So kind of a mix, but, um, yeah, they did raise capital. So they're right now sitting on around $5 billion in cash on hand, um, which is an all time high for them. So that's great. And the other thing I would say just on the earnings, um, Tesla over the last 12 months has actually been free cash flow positive and that's, you know, profitability is important, but free cash flow is definitely, um, one of the main metrics to look at too, because as long as Tesla can be free cash flow positive, then they don't necessarily have to go back to the markets because they can sustain, um, they can, you know, they have the cash there to, um, continue growing. Right. Tell, tell, tell Jeff Bezos about cash flow. (laughs) Right, exactly. And that's a great comparison because Amazon, you know, for a long time kind of operated at that, you know, free cash flow, neutral, free cash flow, slightly positive level. And then they continued to just reinvest and reinvest in, you know, the massive growth that they were seeing over time. And Amazon's profitability, like they had many quarters, many years of um, slightly negative profitability. Um, And then, you know, over time, as they achieved scale, those things balanced out and they started to show profit. So that's really the long term path for Tesla. Tesla's profitability 
has been worse. But at the same time, Tesla has grown much more quickly than Amazon has. I think I looked at this a while ago. Um, if you compare like the amount of time that it took Amazon to go from $200 million in revenue to about um, $20 billion in revenue, it took Amazon like nine years. Tesla was able to do that in about five. So they're growing almost twice as quickly as Amazon um, at this stage in their respective lives. So when you do that, that's going to, again, put a lot of pressure on profitability and and I think a lot of Tesla investors are okay with that because, you know, Tesla's mission is to advance the acceleration of sustainable energy. And the the best way to do that is to, you know, invest in growing as quickly as possible. It's not to sit there and say like, okay, we could grow faster, but, you know, that would cause some more pressure on profitability. Investors support that because, you know, it's a huge market. There's a lot of opportunity there and it also advances the mission. How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1000% for 1Password. I can't live without it. 1Password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM to Slack. It beat out 40 other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at 1Password.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at 1Password.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to 1Password.com slash ride. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity. But user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. Um, all right, so they're not going to run out of money, at least in the near term. In my view, no. And so, <laughs> oh, on that on that point yeah, too. Go so ahead. they actually just got an upgrade from Moody's on. I heard um, you. I heard one that other on aspects podcast. of that. Yeah, yeah. So Moody's apparently, you know, maybe not fully agrees with me, but they're seeing signs of progress there too. All right. Well, then one of the other things, you know, from from the beginning, the whole like master plan from Elon 
mm-hmm. was the the Model Three being this mass market vehicle. Um, Model Three is out. It, there were production issues about being able to meet demand and things like that. At this point, is it working out to plan? Is the Model Three doing what people were hoping it would always do? Yeah, I think so. I think it's kind of kind of mixed, but in terms of the Model Three as a product, um, by all accounts, it's been phenomenally well received. It's actually the best-selling car by revenue in the United States, which I think is underappreciated. Um, a lot of times, things get mired in um, Tesla's own internal targets that you know they communicate very openly with um, investors. So Tesla always sets super aggressive targets. A lot of times they end up, unfortunately, missing those targets, and then that kind of spins the narrative of Tesla not being successful. But then if you back away and you look at the things like you know the growth that they've seen over time and um, just reviews of the product and how much demand there really is, um, all of those things are incredibly strong. But at this point, you know, two years ago, Tesla was communicating that they expected Model 3 production at this point to be you know, 10,000 units per week. And at this point, we're, you know, sitting somewhere in between around six or 7,000 per week. So from that perspective, Tesla's missed their targets. And, you know, that can cause a negative narrative and cause investors to not be as happy as um, maybe they possibly could have been had they achieved those. So it's kind of a tale of two stories. I mean, there are a lot of reasons that go into that. One was um, Tesla kind of re- revisiting sort of their automation um, strategies. Some of that proved to be a little bit um, not quite as cost effective as they had anticipated. And then the other big thing is, I think, just with you know the whole macro environment, Tesla has sort of revised their strategy in terms of um, location of production. So originally, Tesla produces all their vehicles right now from um, Fremont, California, so really isolated to the United States, but and originally they had, you know, targeted to get that 10,000 per week Model 3 production out of Fremont. Um, but I think with the whole macro environment and kind of like all of the trade war uncertainty that we're seeing, Tesla has wisely adjusted those plans. And now they've scaled back their targets a little bit um, from Fremont and have made the decision to invest in uh, their third Gigafactory, actually. So Gigafactory Shanghai. Um, which is where they produce they they plan to produce um, batteries and vehicles directly in China. So they've made really tremendous progress on that. In less than a year, they expect to go from breaking ground to actually um, having production from that building, which is just incredibly quick. Like that's unprecedented. Um, so they expect to get that production at Gigafactory Three Shanghai for Model Three to be up to around three thousand per week. Um, Sometime, you know, they're targeting kind of like the end of the year, but a realistic es- estimate would be probably sometime midpoint of next year. So I'm going to break fast- in here because yeah. uh, this is very timely. Um, to what degree is the whole trade war thing with China going to affect them? Because that's another thing that I remember from last year was that like, you know, sales in China might fall off a cliff and things like that. So is, is that an issue for Tesla going forward? I think it would be if Tesla had gone forward with trying to maximize production out of Fremont and hadn't made as good of production um, progress in terms of the, the Gigafactory 3 Shanghai. So in essence, uh, the, the Shanghai factory is producing cars for the Chinese market. Exactly. Um, which is, you know, timing, you know, couldn't really be better. So they should have that production up and running. And then once they do, that'll get them to, you know, the 10,000 unit target. It'll just be a little bit split from kind of their original plan. 
Um, so I think wisely they adjusted those plans and, you know, that's caused things to be slightly delayed, but in terms of the actual progress they've made, it's really incredible. And the other thing too is, um, China has been extremely supportive. You know, they've been, it would be extremely difficult to make the progress that Tesla has in the amount of time that they have in China without, um, support from the government. And the government has been very supportive. They actually have allowed Tesla to be the first automaker to have a 100% wholly owned operation in China. Normally, they require automakers to come in and do a joint venture, 50-50 split, um, with a Chinese company. So because China feels the need for electric vehicles and to you know make progress on their emissions and things like that, which are really bad in some cases in China, um, they've been extremely supportive of Tesla um, and offered them a lot of um, benefits because of that. All right, one more thing, because uh, we are time-constrained, but I, I want to make sure to squeeze this in. Yeah. The whole, because uh, I remember doing a segment on this as well this year, uh, you're going to be able to rent out your Tesla as an autonomous <laughs> taxi, and, and so you'd be an idiot to buy any other car because you can actually make money off this if you buy it. <laughs> like, it'll it'll be remunerative. It, <laughs> I, I can never say that word. It'll make you money. Um <laughs> And other people, even, you know, people that I've interviewed on this show that are in self-driving, you know, I'm kind of skeptical of all self-driving tech, but they seem to be especially skeptical of Tesla's version of it. And we could get into the whole LiDAR versus whatever. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Like, (laughs) if would I be able to rent out my Tesla a year or two from now, or is this just one of those typical Elon things where it's probably true, but it's maybe not true on the timeline that he is promoting? Yes, I would. I definitely fall in kind of the, that last camp there. Like, I don't think the progress will happen as quickly as, um, Elon is expecting it to. I think we've already seen some of that happen over the last year or so, um, in terms of like slight delays here and there. So, um, I do think Tesla has a great strategy. I think they're the only ones with um, the fleet out there collecting the data that's going to be needed to um, For sure. create, create a robust full self-driving system. And that's where their strategy has really deviated from other companies. And I think they're uniquely positioned. But at the same time, I think progress is going to you know, continue to take a while. Um, Elon says you know, robo-taxis are going to be a thing kind of in 2020. Um, that's not my expectation. You know, certainly I'm not an expert there. Elon would have way better insight to that. But just based on how things have progressed, I think I think it will happen at some point. Um, when is a huge question mark to everybody. Um, but I, I, my own personal expectation, I don't know, maybe like three years. But I think as we as we progress, like the feature set continues to become more and more robust and features continue to get added um, over time and the value proposition of those features to customers continues to improve. And as all those things happen, that's going to continue to benefit Tesla's, um, profitability and market share and things like that. Because again, I think they are leading on that path and definitely the only ones really offering any value from, um, you know, full self-driving sort of features today. There are a couple others out there, but largely it's Tesla. Right. Because again, if, if, Elon's right about this. The idea would be you wouldn't have to do anything. It would just be a software update, and then you would just flip a switch, and the car that you already have could do this. It's not a matter of, oh, come back into the shop, add on this, you know, $15,000 doohickey, and then, like, in theory, it is just the car you have could already be upgraded to, to do this. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's the that's the really crazy and exciting part is Tesla over time, they do over their software updates. And, you know, every couple of months, autopilot will improve. And um, people are already seeing the benefits of that, you know, as they get new features and things like that. Um, it's as simple as Tesla pushing pushing that software update out because they feel like they have the hardware installed on all the vehicles that they've been producing for the last couple of years that's going to be able to be capable of um, full self-driving once that software development comes along. Uh, finally, Rob, I, in prep for this, I was listening to uh, most recent episodes. You just celebrated uh, two years of the Tesla Daily Podcast and yeah. what, what was it, 400 <laughs> episodes? Yeah, two years and 400 episodes also um, happened on the same episode, which is a nice coincidence. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, listen, congratulations as someone that does this every day as well. That's yeah. an amazing, <laughs> amazing feat. And and I, I've said before, there's one podcast that I go to for catch, catching me up in, in the crypto space and one podcast to catch me up on the Tesla space and Tesla Daily is that. Thank so you. I appreciate that a lot. I think it's a fantastic show and um, long may it last. Congratulations. Yeah, let's hope so. Thanks. Thanks.